Hello and welcome to the Mental Health Shelf podcast. My name is Jamie Skinner and in this podcast I invite guests from various backgrounds to discuss five items or symbols which they believe have brought them joy, escape or have simply contributed to good mental health in their lives. These items then get put on a non-existent mental health shelf, although I know it's only episode six but someone may have constructed one based on this or something similar to it. I think I said this last time, only on episode six and I'm already starting to repeat myself. I mean, these intros all kind of have the same format and basis anyway. I should just get into the main conversation straight away, really, shouldn't I? Anyway, enough waffling. These items can be absolutely anything the guests want. Uh, want hot sauce, bookmark, lightsaber, laminator. One of those is a possibility. And they then get put on a mental health shelf, which is something to look to when the world is getting a bit much, things are getting stressful, and they just need, as well, the basis is, a bit of escape. I really should plan these intros better and actually properly script them out. Anyway, this month I am joined by Becky Brooks, former newspaper editor and now director of Bath and North East Somerset's third sector group, linking over 200 charities and social enterprises. Those are the two core day jobs of the last 20 years for Becky, who seems to like to keep busy outside of them with a number of other roles connecting with people in various ways. I'm sure we'll dive into them during our conversation. Um, Pun slightly intended there, I guess. You'll see a bit later in the podcast she also seems to generally be one of those very kind people who takes a chance on some random idiot emailing into their newspaper saying would your paper like a film review column here's some examples of my work that random idiot being me Uh, something of which i will always be very grateful for in allowing me to develop some of my writing skills but this isn't about me it's about becky and her mental health shelf and so without any more desperately in need of more scripting rambling from me Let's see what she's picked to go on it. It's wonderful to welcome to this month's edition of the Mental Health Shelf podcast, the former editor of Southwest-based newspaper The Journal, having spent almost 20 years there, director of FreeSG, a network connecting over 200 charities and social prizes in the area, and yoga teacher. I think we need to emphasise that. Becky Brooks, welcome. Well, thank you, Jamie. Thank you for having me. How are you? I'm very well, thank you. I'm enjoying all the sunny weather. It's been, it's really nice. Although we probably could do some rain, couldn't we? we we've got the aircon in on in the studio, though. Yeah. So hopefully it's, it'll be fine for the next 45 minutes or so. It's very British me starting talking about the weather, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the the kind of uh, jobs that I listed there, they kind of strike me as very different roles. Was that something that you were looking for when you shifted from going from newspaper editor to something else? I think so. I think so. That that's that's really interesting, and it's something that I've thought about a lot. Since, obviously, when I was making that change, and since, um, so I, as you said, I I went straight out of university into into that role in newspapers and local media, and I loved it. I absolutely loved it. And I think sort of twenty years went by, or nearly twenty years went by, really quickly. And it was it was kind of like everybody. I think having that time to stop with the pandemic kind of made us maybe all of us kind of reassess what we were doing in our lives and and what our lives looked like and my life personally looked very different as I suppose anybody's would 20 years on um and and I had other you know commitments and and people at home suddenly that were that that needed me and and I wasn't a young 20 something just kind of single and and no one worried about you know how, how long I was working and all those kind of things and just different priorities in life I think and and whilst I love that newspaper and I still do um, and it was a real wrench to to move on, I think. And I've I've got this with another colleague at the moment who I who I currently work work with in, in charity. Um, he's making a big life decision, and I think you get to certain points where you have to. And um, it just seemed like the right time. And actually, I think since I think being in a job that long is actually quite unusual now. People tend to move around quite a lot, and I think you get a lot of personal growth with that as well. So. Um, yeah, it was it was the right decision, and I think also for the product as well. Sometimes it's time for things to move on, um, and I, I I love being in charity as well. It's it was the right move for me in terms of some of my life circumstances and some of the charity work that I'd done. I'd sort of been edging into that without really realising it for a while. Was it easy to realise, at least once it came about, that you want? And I think as well, admit that you wanted to move on. I think you get to a certain point where you sort of start to know that it is time. I've always loved doing charity work and I've always been very interested in the stories that we were covering around people doing amazing things for charity. And I've always been in awe of some of the brilliant charities that I've written about. And and it just was something that I was really interested in. 
Um, I've done a lot of fundraising myself and I'd run a, a commercial business myself. So I felt like I had a lot of the skills to sort of pick up and move into that sector, even though it was a bit of a risk. And I think I described myself as as the wild card in my interview because I was. I wasn't from the sector. So I'm glad they took a risk on me. In a piece that you wrote before you actually left the journal, I think this was just as you were leaving, you said, in this role, you certainly can't please everyone. And I remember (laughs) talking to you, particularly um, when there was a general election, there was a couple of adverts in the paper, and you said that the phones have pretty much been going nonstop with people complaining and having a go. How did you cope with that kind of thing? Yeah, I mean, politics, wow. That's... uh... (laughs) Yeah, that brings out all sorts of things in people, doesn't it? And I think it's good. I think it's good that people are passionate in that way. Yeah, it it could be really challenging. I had to develop a really tough skin. I am not naturally someone who's quite hard, you know, I'm not. And and actually, I always felt like a little bit of a square peg in a round hole in that that career because it's not the way I'm wired to be, you know, really hard and tough. And, And you do have to be sometimes, even in local news. You do. And and you're never going to please anyone in life. You know, you're always going to find people that don't like you or don't kind of agree with some of the things that you do. And and, and that, you know, you never you, if you try and spend your entire life pleasing everybody, you'll never win. And kind of politics aside, was it easy and to kind of grow that tough skin or, or did it take a while? No, it's take, it, took, it took a long time, a long time and a lot of experience. And you learn from every experience, good and bad. Um, and I'm a firm believer in that. I mean, I think life would be very boring if if you just kind of just sailed through it all the time. I mean, obviously, it would be a lot easier, I think, sometimes. But I think through through hard times and good times, you, you have that opportunity for, for personal growth um, and change. I think we find change quite difficult, don't we, sometimes? And, and actually, once you're at the other side of it, it can it can be a really positive thing. You've kind of gone from weekly deadlines and council meetings, numerous events to what I kind of presume is also still weekly deadlines, maybe not council meetings, but still a lot of events and arranging it. Are you still very busy? I'm so busy. It was definitely not sort of the easy option. It just meant that I kind of got had a bit more control over my life and, and because of those deadlines. Um, 3SG is is such an amazing thing in that it, it supports charities, community groups and social enterprise across the whole of Bath and North East Somerset. And it's a very similar setup in that I I am a part of a team of three, like I was at the paper. And, you know, we're the, sort of the catalyst for, for, for good and change and, and, you know, the networking that we do and the one-to-one support and training and all of those things are helping to strengthen our third sector. You can then go on and do incredible work of their own. So, like, I think the role that we play is really vital it was by no means kind of like thinking, oh, well, this will be the easier option. Definitely isn't. But I have so much joy in that my job is very flexible. I can kind of work around my life. And and even though I do like work in evenings and weekends like I would have done before, it's just different. It, it's a different kind of kind of work. And actually all the, the networking and the socials that we organise, none of it feels like work. I'm surrounded by amazing people with kind of similar... I think when you work in a sector, you all have kind of similar mindset and it's been really nice being around that wider network of people and sharing those same values as well. Yeah, I've loved it. It doesn't it doesn't feel like work, but definitely not the easy option. Is it safe to say that you like to be challenged? I do. I do. I do. I've I've always. Yeah, I've always even as a child, I've been quite restless and and I always feel like I have to squeeze every last bit out of life, you know, like the um I used to just get really bored just doing nothing. And even now, I know, Jamie, you're really into your films, aren't you? I I really struggle just to sit still long enough to watch a film. <laughs> I probably will be a worse nightmare. But, yeah, I have to be doing all the time. And um, I just think that's a real aspect of my personality, which probably drives some people up the wall. <laughs> you said that you kind of have more free time-ish now with this new job, or at least you're able to divide things up. When you have divided those things up, what is it that you do? I think there's probably a bit better work-life balance than there was before. Yeah. Um, but I'm definitely, I might even be busier than I was, but it, ju- it just feels different. Um, but I I love to walk. I love to get outside. I, I just love being outside. Um, I love water. My partner works in scuba diving, so we love the ocean. So we, we always kind of look for the sea. And, and, and I love being outdoors, as well. just, you know, just being in nature and in the garden. Gardening's really big big thing for me as well 
Because I discovered this. This one kind of surprised me. You're a qualified scuba diver. I am. You can teach people to scuba dive. Oh, no, I can't teach people to scuba dive. Okay, you can't teach people, but still, you're (laughs) a qualified scuba diver. I'd love to, and my partner would be really pleased with me if I could, because that's kind of the qualification he wants me to get to. And um, we got a bit of a joke, because um, for all of my my media and how much I love reading and writing, I won't do my reading to qualify. (laughs) So he gets really fed up with me, because I I won't get around to doing it. But... um, yeah, he taught me to scuba dive. I'm really, really lucky. I've always loved the sea before I met him anyway. And we just kind of really bonded over that. And he's shown me this whole new world that I never knew existed. And it's incredible. You may not be then able to teach people to scuba dive, but you do, as we mentioned, teach people yoga. Mm. What, can you talk a little bit about the role yoga's played for you? Oh, my goodness. Yoga has been um, a huge part of my life. So it. I've probably been doing yoga for around 20 years now because it was one of the first jobs I went on as a young reporter. So I was sent off to go and um, report on a yoga class that was running. It's really interesting how that shift in culture has taken place over these last 20 years because yoga was kind of really alternative then. Now, you know, it's become so commercial. There's so many different aspects. There's so many different yoga classes that you can do. But it's played a huge part of my life. And I went along to this class and wasn't really expecting I didn't know what to expect. And I just got hooked on it. And I just decided I'd go every week. And then my mum started going with me and we did it together. And it's played a really huge part of my life. And it really helped me balance a lot of the stress at work and helped me really understand myself a lot better. And it's given me a real insight into my own mental health for a really long time now. It's a huge tool in my toolbox for, for life, I think, actually. Is there anything specific about it that you can kind of pinpoint that brings that out? Mm. Yeah, it's that stillness that I don't allow myself. I actually have to, you have to in yoga. And it's that stillness to kind of that internal reflection and kind of coming back to your breath and your body and, and just being really in your body. Because I think a lot of the time we spend a lot of time in our heads and not actually really kind of in a physical space. So I find that really fascinating and I continue to do so. I'd like to do more in terms of therapeutic yoga. Um, and I've also recently this year qualified as a children's um, yoga teacher because I think bringing yoga into schools, and I know there's some amazing work done. Um, Charlotte Martinus, my, um, one of my teachers, she has Teen Yoga Foundation, which has helped to bring yoga into schools. And I, it's just such an incredible thing for young people to learn about ways in which we can kind of calm and quieten our minds and, and goodness knows don't don't that generation kind of need that right now one other thing that i saw and this was kind of just tagged on your email that i saw earlier and the mental health first aider can you just explain a little bit about that yeah so the brilliant thing about 3sg and the work that i do within because we're we are a charity ourselves um is that I'm supported to do that kind of Dextra development if I want to. And one of the things that came up was the opportunity to do um, the mental health first aid and our our chair of trustees. So there are three of us as employees, but there are 10 trustees that sit above us and that I report to. Um, And our chair of trustees is Kate Morton, who is the chair of Bath Mind. And so she's always really supported me in terms of sort of my own mental health needs and and learning and development and and so that was an opportunity to go and do that and I found it fascinating I really really enjoyed it and it was about ways in which you can support other people with their own mental health and sort of checking in and supporting and finding the right resources and signposting people in the right place if they're in crisis and can't get support straight away. Did it kind of teach you a bit more about yourself or at least bring a bit more understanding Mm. in that regard? Yeah, I think it did actually. I think um I think it made me much more aware of my own responses to people in general conversation. And we did a lot of work about really listening to people and not kind of throwing your own perspective onto someone else's thoughts, opinions or troubles. It it was really interesting and to kind of really do that deep self-reflection about ways in which you might react to a situation and some of the things I might have been doing beforehand that I wouldn't do anymore. Though I'd often probably going with an opinion for example or I'm a fixer so a way to try and make it better whereas actually in mental health first aid they teach you a lot about kind of stepping back and just listening you know I do in yoga I hold space in silence so why can't I do it in general conversation I think that's probably a lot to do with like my career and what I've been doing I'm programmed to ask a lot of questions (laughs) 
and it's about really listening. So I find that fascinating. Let's get on to the items that are actually on your mental health shelf. Uh, where do you want to start? I'm excited about this. I hope my items aren't rubbish. <laughs> I mean, they're, they're your choices, as I said to you before. <laughs> yeah. So um, the first one, I don't think I can put my entire garden on a shelf, but it would be. I have always loved, my parents are very keen gardeners and from a young age they've sort of helped foster that in me. I've always loved getting my hands in the soil and, and growing new plants and kind of seeing flowers bloom and all those kind of things. I'm also a really keen florist. I absolutely love flowers. And I'm really into gardening for wildlife as well. I think it's really important and sort of like the sensory element of gardening as well. And if I'm ever having a tough time, actually, you'll probably find me in my greenhouse pottering around or sort of deadheading flowers. Or... And it just, that's my space. That's my time to sort of recalibrate. So, yeah, my garden um, is definitely on the shelf. Is it a kind of space of kind of peace and quiet where you can go and just, you know, as basically as it says, be there and be quiet? Yeah, definitely. And I love I love seeing, like, the, the fruit of your labour, if you see what I mean, kind of mm. just getting those results and... Sometimes actually gardening can be quite frustrating. It's taken me a long time to sort of learn what works and what doesn't. Um, yeah, and, and, and in different spaces as well. So I've moved around quite a lot. So you can kind of create a garden anywhere as well, which is the, the amazing thing. It doesn't have to be anything big or flash. It can be it can be anything. In the pandemic, we all started buying houseplants, didn't we? And just trying to bring that green into the space. So I think plants do wonders for our mental health. Is there an element of, uh, as well, of kind of pride, as you said, looking at the fruit of your labour, kind of, I've done this, I've put the time in? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, having that sense of achievement, I think, especially when things haven't been going that well or, you're, you know, you've you've got like a an insect infestation or something or something, you know, you just died or, it's, yeah, having learning and then pick yourself up and going, okay, well, how do I do that differently? And that sort of trial and error and then having those results, yeah, yeah, real sense of achievement. When you go to garden, th- this is coming from someone who doesn't really do it and, you know, murdered a couple of chilies once effectively <laughs> and made tiny carrots that the dog then ate. Oh, gosh. Is it, it feels like something that very much has to, you have to pay a huge deal of attention to it, how much water you're using, what the day is and the, the temperature, all that kind of stuff. Is that the case? Yeah, there's a lot of variables. I think it depends on the plants, but you you have to commit to it, particularly at the moment with all this hot weather. You know, if you if you neglect things, they'll die. And I think as I've got older, I've noticed that that's a real kind of metaphor for life. Is like the more you put in, the more you get out. I've really noticed that. So I do spend a lot of time tending to the garden whenever I can. I mean, obviously, I'm really busy and. And we all are in life, aren't we? So sometimes I'm terrible with houseplants. I'm great with my garden, terrible with houseplants. And I don't know why. I just, I tend to neglect them, which is really bad. But I'm trying to do better. Does it just help to, with how much there kind of has to be put into, um, that that makes sense, uh, put into kind of gardening? Is is it just down to all the focus? It's something that you have to be solely focused on in that moment with very little distraction around you. Yeah, I think that's it, isn't it? It's, um... And I've, I've experienced this with other people that have had mental health challenges. It's about really being very present and um, focusing on something so that you're not in your head again. It's about getting out of the head and, and, and being really... And actually um, kind of really getting your hands into something. So, uh, you know, really putting your hands into soil or walking on grass barefoot is really grounding. And, that you know, that's coming from my yoga stuff as well. But just having that physical connection with something really brings us back to a present moment what does that sensory element do for you i think it just it just stops my brain Mm. my brain is very busy (laughs) very busy and it just it slows everything down and you kind of get lost in that moment and you're not thinking about tomorrow next week next year you know it's just about this moment and what you're doing in that moment when you say your brain's busy, is it kind of a state of uh, 20 different thoughts rushing around it? Is it just, it's very, very loud? It, it, do you find it easy to control it? Yeah, there's a lot going on in my head, often. I mean, I probably isn't everybody's. I've always been a bit of an overthinker, always been a warrior. And I always, I do project as well a lot. And I think being present is, a, is, is something I find quite hard to do. So it's, it's important for me. Having said that, through my yoga and my yoga training... I can, in that space, I can turn off very quickly. I can, like a switch, flick it, and, and I'm and I'm kind of there in that in that moment. 
And I think that's been such a great gift for me, actually. Um, my life would be, oh, God, I, I don't even know what state I'd be in without yoga. <laughs> it, is it a state, do you think, of being comfortable and uh, familiar in that? And this is coming from, I guess, kind of the autistic mind. Of, you know, it can be very, very loud and then that can lead to a sensory overload, all that kind of stuff. But when in a kind of familiar setting, it's slightly quieter when there are those knowing distractions, I guess. Yeah, I think there's comfort for all of us in familiarity, isn't there? And, and having a safe space. When you're in yoga, they often kind of encourage you to do that at home. I'm terrible. I don't often get time to do yoga at home. But I think that's because I've not really ever had a proper dedicated space to it. And that's something I'm working on. So I'm hoping at some point we'll build a studio in my garden, which would be amazing. And then I'll have a dedicated space where I can go and be and do. And, and that'll be the real test, won't it? To see if I actually do it there. There is a lot to be said for that. And I love the idea of the mental health shelf because... I think having your own space with things that are really precious to you is really, really valuable. And that's something I hope to to sort of set up in my in my environment. I'm, I'm just about to move again. So I'm hoping this is sort of the last time for a while. So I'm kind of thinking about that and ways in which I can really make a lovely environment for myself that's really peaceful and calming. Before we move on to your second item, is there a kind of end goal with a garden? Is it just it looks nice? Are there small goals throughout it and it's just a continuous project? Is it all of the above? I think that's a great thing with a garden. You're never going to be finished. And I would think with my personality that that would not sit well with me, but actually does because I think it's always going to be evolving and changing and, and you change and fashions and trends change and I think that's kind of the exciting thing, isn't it? You've always got a blank canvas and you can do lots of different things with it and, and it's never really complete. Yeah. Is that one of the things you're kind of looking forward to about a new move then? New garden, new canvas, get out the trowels. <laughs> I don't know. I'm actually having a really hard time because we're having to move because our landlord is selling our house and I I am so sad to be leaving our current garden and I think I need to start Showing some love to the new garden <laughs> because I'm just, I'm not there yet. We've not yet moved and mm. I'm just not quite there yet because if I could pick that one up and take it with me, I would. It was actually my dream garden and um, I'm really, really sad that we can't stay. So I think the new one, it's going to be about finding what works and just being kind to it actually because I'm kind <laughs> of throwing a lot of shade at it at the moment <laughs> for not being, you know, the garden. Yeah. Let's go to item number two. What's that? Item number two, um, I would put books on my mental health shelf, which is quite literal, isn't it, really, when you think about it? But um, they are another form of escape for me. And, and I think that's how I ended up in the career that I did, in that I have spent my life with my head in, in a book. And that has made me sit still and it has made me escape um, into different worlds and other people's narratives. And I, there's something so valuable and precious in that. And, and then going into print and... And I just, I really appreciate books as an entity. I, you know, I love paper. I, I, I appreciate beautifully printed things. And, and I love the way that books have, oh, don't they? And that we've got, we've had to kind of like real mass produced books. And then we've sort of come back to this really nice space. Like we have kind of vinyl, for example, where books are now, you can get some really beautifully produced books. And yes, they're expensive, but they are works of art. You know, they're really, really beautiful and, and and they deserve to be displayed and kept forever. And I love that. I, I've done uh, lots of work experience where I've worked with historic books and and yeah, I I love it. And I and I I love getting lost in a really good story, but I also love reading about really inspirational people and particularly women. So at the moment, for example, I'm reading Michelle Obama's book, absolutely loving it. Um and it just really helps me switch off at the end of the day. Is there any kind of book in particular or any one or two books that you would lean towards? I've got some really special books um, and they can really vary. I've got like, I'm obsessed with cats, that's the thing. So I am, um, I've got this beautiful book I had when I was a kid with lots of different cats in and, and uh, you can see them all like throughout the book in different stages of the day. And then by the end they're, they're, they're kind of like settling down for the night. And I just loved that book and I'll keep it forever. Um, and then I've got other books, you know, I think we probably maybe we all have sort of favourite stories. Obviously, I loved the Secret Garden. Obviously, um, and 
Yeah, and then I've kept sort of really inspirational books as I've gone along. Like a lot of them I'll pass on to friends or give to charity, but the ones that have really stuck with me, I'll keep them and they, they, they follow me, they come with me. To go to something that you said a moment ago, not quite on books, but um, on the fact if you're going into print and writing, you were there for almost 20 years. But was it still the case, even after so long, you'd pick up a copy and you'd open up the paper... I wrote that. That's my words. Did you still get that? Yeah, yeah. I think, yeah, I think I'll always be proud of that. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Even a year on, I kind of look back on that and I'm like, <laughs> oh, that's that's really cool. I did that. And I think that's why it was such a wrench to go because it was my baby for such a long time. You know, it was my project. And and, and I did it because I, I wanted the community to have a really great newspaper. They deserve it. And um, put everything into it. And... And actually, I've put Westfield, they, I think it might have been, gosh, it, maybe it was for Millennium. I can't remember. It was for some kind of anniversary. Maybe it was like a Jubilee or something. But they um, they put together a time capsule in Westfield and they put a copy of the journal in there. And I just love that. I think, oh, can you imagine in like 100, 150 years time, someone's going to dig that up and... Hopefully it survived, but, <laughs> you know, and they'll be like, oh, there was this editor and this was her name. And, and I love that. I love the thought that also that I was a female editor, because also when I was in, I first got into newspapers, it was still a very male dominated space. I've since connected with Lynn Vanquist, who was the old Somerset Guardian editor. And I just, I always looked up to her. I was like, that's, that's such a cool thing to be doing. And, and then I did it too. So Yeah. I'm, I I love the fact that someone might, you know, un- uncover these some, one day. I've done lots of library work experience as well, where we looked through old newspapers, and I and that's where I come back to the the print world. It's just got so much value. We don't keep things like we used to, and we don't document things like we used to either. So I think I think I don't, I guess we'll do it differently in future. But having those that physical copy that you can go back to and and look things up is is really special. You mentioned you like to read kind of empowering stories, particularly from the female perspective. Is there a particular kind of story? Is it that kind of thing? Or is there a particular genre that you would tend to lean towards? Mm, I don't know about genre. I, I just, I'm not a fussy reader. I sort of tend to pick up anything, really. And I, I really put myself through it because even if I'm not enjoying a book, which is quite rare, but if I'm not, I will still read it cover to cover and give it that chance. So... Yeah, no, I don't. I don't think so. I'm not. Um, I don't really like. Oh no, saying that though, I was just about to say I don't really like thrillers and things like that. But actually, I've read a couple of really good ones, so I'm going to take that back. And let's move on to uh, item number three, shall we? I chose like the yoga symbol, so the Om symbol, just because of all the things that we've sort of talked about in terms of my my yoga journey and finding peace through that. Yoga has been a real catalyst for change in my life at various points as well. Um, because I think when you have that time to be really quiet and self-reflect, it it can kind of lead you in different directions. And I, I yeah, I think that symbol is actually really powerful for me. Um, but yeah, yeah. So that was one that would definitely go on my shelf. When you do yoga, and again, this is coming from someone who has never done yoga and is pretty much my perception of it is probably the quite cliche perception of it. Do you have any music or is there any noise? Do you say anything? Yeah, how, I mean, do, how do you do yoga? There, there's different types of yoga. So I think there's so many different types of yoga. I trained in quite spiritual kind of yoga. Um, it wasn't like having kind of beliefs thrust at you, but it was just about kind of really connecting to something else. And actually through some charity work, I went to India um, and went to Dharamsala, which is where the Dalai Lama is. Just having that connection to something a bit spiritual is is really important to me I mean I don't I don't really know I'm nearly 40 years old I don't really know where I sit with any of it or what my beliefs are but I I like having like that kind of connection to something else and when I was in Dharamsala I bought a um a really actually I'm gonna sneak that onto my shelf I bought a really beautiful kind of copper singing bowl from a little boy on a market stall and I use that now in my classes um, and it's really precious to me. And I think I bought it for like a fiver. But it probably absolutely made his day that he, that you know, I bought this 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 bowl. And it's really, really special to me. So, yeah, I'd sneak that on with the symbol. <laughs> <laughs> that allowed. Yeah, why not? We could stamp the symbol onto the bowl. Yeah, we'll put the symbol on the bowl. Do you meditate at all? Um, actually, so this is interesting. 
or not, but it is interesting <laughs> to me. Um, I I find it really hard to meditate. I had to do a lot in my teacher training. And I actually, I know it can be a really great tool for a lot of people, but for me personally, it actually makes me very anxious. And maybe it's because I can't sit still. Maybe it's because I haven't quite mastered the thoughts. I'm not sure. But yeah, I find if I do lots of meditation, it actually has an opposite effect on me. I know it's very, very effective tool for lots of other people. So I think it's about what finding finding what works for you. There is something else called yoga nidra, which is basically a version of sleep. So it's almost like when you have sort of a relaxing tape or I think um, Headspace, the app, I think, you know, they can do like the talking and talk you through if you're having trouble sleeping. It's similar to that. And it sort of works your way for your body to sort of, again, getting out of the head into the body. And yoga nidra is really good for me. That really resets me and calms me right down in a way that I just can't get to meditation. We, on the kind of the meditation front, do you think it's because it's all about making your mind quiet? Do you think it's just because it makes you even more conscious of how loud your mind is? Yeah, I think that a lot of people that meditate regularly would tell you that actually if I stuck at it, it would be fine. Um, and maybe I just don't have the staying power. I don't know. But um, I think you can definitely retrain your brain to, to start to switch off. Anyone else could probably really train themselves to, to sit quietly in meditation. And, and that is that is the goal, isn't it? But it's about doing so in a way that's not pressured. I think most people that love meditation, again, it's their, their toolkit. And, and they can just go and take themselves off anywhere and just kind of switch off like that. But it, it takes a while. It's, it's training and dedication, I think. On the front of uh, Yoga Nidra then, is it something that you use often then? Because I know you mentioned the Headspace app. Yeah, um, I come and go with it. I think if, it depends if I'm going through the sort of stressful periods in life, then um, yeah, I will. I'll go back to it and I've found it to be really, really helpful. I think doing the work I've done with the yoga, I can recognise when I'm starting to slip into a space that might be a bit unhelpful or anxiety is my thing. I get yeah. really anxious. Coming back to that, I kind of recognise those sort of triggers and go, right, okay, I need, I need to start reintroducing this. And actually, I think if I did it every single day, I'd probably, I would have cracked it and I really should do it more. If you kind of have a spike in anxiety in a particular moment mm. and, and you've recognised those signs, is it easy for you to take a moment, step away and, I don't know, is it breathing you might do or whatever you yeah. do? Yeah, I think so. I think I can check in with myself quite easily and I think I can recognise when things are starting to go the wrong way so yeah breath is really really key and I do that a lot with my students it's all about sort of bringing yourself back to breath work and and just that again comes into that present moment and actually feeling the physicality of your body like your your belly and your chest moving up and down and just being really aware of your lungs and actually you know we take breathing just we just don't think about it do we we, don't, we just don't we just do it and and actually it's our life force so yeah, just just kind of really being in that moment and really grateful for this amazing thing that sustains us. A lot of it seems to be about awareness, and particularly when um, with breathing. When you do um, just take a moment to take a breath, are there any particular? T- is there anything like square breathing or in for yeah. seven, out for eight? Is it what yeah. kind of stuff is it you do? Yeah, square breathing is a really good one. Just for me though, it's just about really deep breaths into okay. the, it, right from the base of your lungs up into your chest and you almost feel like your whole body is expanding and then pushing out all the old air out of your body so like really squeezing your belly back towards your back almost so you're like kind of really getting rid of all the old stuff and inhaling all the good new energy into your body and yeah there are all sorts of things there's like alternate nostril breathing you can do um there's the square breathing as you mentioned that's really helpful for me i really like doing that there's just breathing out through your mouth Really, really good for calming. There's all sorts you can do. Alternate nostril breathing. Yeah. <laughs> I, I need you to explain this one now. <laughs> I could show you it, but I mean, it's not very good on a podcast, is it? Because you can't see. I don't care. But you I basically, don't... you use your thumb okay. and your ring finger and you, you can block off your, your nostril with your thumb. And basically, you exhale out through, through, the, through the left nostril. And then you didn't inhale back into it and then you block it off with the ring finger and then you swap. So you take the thumb off of the other side and you exhale through the other side. So you're only ever kind of breathing in and out through one nostril. Okay. And it's it's meant to kind of like recalibrate and balance your brain out. It's actually really, really great for calming. And actually once you get really good at it, because it can feel quite unnatural to start with and quite a few of my 
um, yoga students are like, what is this? It's weird. Um, you can just, you can hold, you can start to hold your breath in between as well. Really, really good for just calming everything down. Let's go to item number four, shall we? Yeah, item number four. Um, I would say this is, I've gone physical now, I'm into actual items here. I have a little pot by my bed, which was given to me. I'm very, very lucky I got to go to the Maldives um, because my partner works out there sometimes because of the job that he does in scuba diving. And the first time I went, I was given by the hotel a little, I'm not sure how great this is, but they gave me a little pot of sand. And that was the first time I had ever seen proper white, pink <laughs> coral sand. And it was just, just incredible. I was literally in paradise and it was the most amazing experience of my life and it will always stay with me. And so this tiny little pot of sand is right next to me. And actually, if I am having a rubbish time, I do tend to just kind of look at it and I'll look at like all the little grains and kind of just remember being in that really incredible space with just crystal clear water and the incredible fish and just all those amazing memories. So yeah, that's really, really precious to me and that helps. just sometimes I think when things are bad you have to remember that there's also really good things in life as well and good experiences and that life does get better and easier and it's very up and down isn't it life that's the way that's the way we we go with it we travel through it and there are ups and there are downs and and that always that little pot of sand always gives me hope for better things it's another element kind of sensory escape isn't it hmm yeah that's something I've learned as well. It's like really appreciating the detail of things. If you are potentially in crisis or you are having a hard time, like even if you took yourself out for a walk, just being really present and noticing, I don't know, the leaves on the trees or birdsong or even like the sound of your feet on the gravel. It's really, really good to just kind of really take it back down to the basics. Like what is going on for me right now in this moment rather than like all the other noise? Just that real basic stuff. Would you say that you kind of relish in the small details of everyday things? Something I've started doing in the last couple of years, actually, is um, I keep a gratitude journal. And someone recommended I do it when I, when I, I was sort of worrying about the future and really taking it back to, to the smallest of things. And <laughs> I don't think my brother would mind me sharing this. He does it too. And he... um. He said to me once, he was like, the only thing I was grateful for today was like, was my dinner. <laughs> like I loved my dinner. It was great. And I think, well, that that's, that's the point though. It's about really like, I have a soft bed to sleep in. I have a warm bed to sleep in. You know, there are people that don't. There are, you know, I had food in my belly. There are people that don't. And it's about really breaking it down. I have a roof over my head. There are people, sadly, that don't. We can get very caught up in our own story. And it's about, again, that, that present, that being in that present moment and going, I've actually got a lot to be really happy about and really grateful for. Is that, is that something that you do at the end of the day every day? Yeah, so mine, mine is, um, it's great. It gives you lovely little messages in the morning. And then so you do th- three things that you're looking forward to today and then three things that you're grateful for at night. And is that is it easy to kind of fill? But I, I guess particularly the <laughs> bit at the end of the day is it easy to fill that up? Yeah, I think I think it depends where you are. If yeah. things are a bit difficult or dark, you have to dig really deep sometimes. And there've been moments where I have. I've been like, oh, you know, what am I grateful for when everything feels a bit of a slog? And um, we all have moments like that, however great our lives are. Um, and sometimes you do have to dig really deep. It's just like, what am I grateful for? Um, cup of tea, <laughs> you know. And it, it it can be that. It doesn't have to be huge, grandiose things. It just, yeah. And I think that does really help reset. It does really help reset. For me, anyway, it does. Is that also kind of, I guess, on the point of resetting? Can the sand help with that in a way? Yeah, I think so. I think so. It's about looking back on the things that you might have done and the places that you've been, like travel's a really big thing in my life, and um, just being really grateful for all the things that you've got to experience. And I'm having a big birthday this year, and <laughs> and kind of going, well, do you know what? I've made it this far. I I've had 
X amount of years on this planet and I'm and I'm so grateful and and every single year is a gift and I don't know I'm trying maybe I'm in denial but I'm trying to just go well every single year is a gift and and how fortunate am I to be here for another year and and what will this year bring and what are all the exciting things that will, will come my way and I think that's it isn't it it's kind of the apprehension with life moving on and not knowing where it's going to go on the point of travel, what does travelling and exploring do for you? I guess on a personal level as well. Oh, it's been everything to me. Hmm. Um, I started travelling after a really difficult period in my life. And um, I just really... sounds really cliche, doesn't it? But I really, I really did find myself through... I did lots of physical adventures, so I, I, I did some lots of charity treks and, and actually just pushing my body um, and... Um, firmly throwing myself out of my comfort zone and going to new places and experiencing new cultures and new things was just such a massive eye-opener for me. And um, I think, and I, I tell this now to, um, to my partner's children, you know, just going out and experiencing new things and cultures and, and they're lucky, they're fortunate enough in that we can, we can help them go and explore the world. Um, they should. And, and if you are in that position and you can... I would say just absolutely go and do it because it really changes your world view as well and, and changes who you are as a person, I think. When you say you found yourself, what do you mean by that? What was mm. the difference before and after? Um, I think I just I left and came back as two very different people because of having to pull myself out of that comfort zone and, mm. and having to be kind of really self-sufficient and and then having the confidence to know that I could do it to then go into the next adventure and, and, and go again. And um, like now I, I, I don't really think about lying halfway across the world on my own. I do, I just, I would, I'd do it. And actually I'm very comfortable on my own. Um, I one of my favourite memories is I've, I um, was sat in Athens with a good book, the most amazing feta cheese I've ever had in my life, and a great glass of wine. And I just sat there with this book, and and actually that was something I never would have done before that period, and um, and just being really comfortable there to be on my own, and that's something I'll always remember. I think that was a moment I knew I'd cracked it was that I was there and I was comfortable and it was fine. So I think yeah, really pushing ourselves as well is is oh it's tough that can be tough for mental health but also really liberating as well was that kind of the, the ignition or rather because it's you know literally going around the world uh, an explosion to propel you into pushing you outside of your comfort zone even more over the years yeah definitely i think once you've done things like that you 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 can't go back and i hope that i will always i mean things change in life don't they circumstances change your priorities change, but I think I will always have that kind of that wanderlust and always wanting to explore new things and share that with people that I love now. I'm not really solo on that journey anymore, which is really nice. Mm. Um, but when I was solo on that journey, it was fine, and I met some amazing people. And actually, when you travel alone, people are really kind to you. I've had some lovely, lovely experiences being alone. That's really great too, because it doesn't have to be something that's kind of intimidating or scary. On to your final item. What would that be? My final item is... Um... <laughs> There's quite a change in tone yeah. here, it seems. Yeah, my final item is my dog's, my dog's toy. He's got, um, he's got a really cute little... And it's battered. It's like, it's like a loved old teddy. Um, and we call it Mr Pig. <laughs> and Because it's a pig. Um, and he, he came with that when we rescued him from the cats and dogs home last summer so he was actually on um the news he was a puppy that was found abandoned in a box um on one of the hottest days of the year and i'd been doing some work with bath cats and dogs home and the stars aligned and they called me and were like what's puppy what do you think and of course i mean who's gonna say no <laughs> to a puppy um and i'd never had one before but i'd always thought it'd be a great idea to have a puppy and a kitten at the same time we had a young cat and oh my goodness, it was not a great idea. <laughs> it was really hard work. Um, but wow, do we love him? 
he is absolutely flourishing. Like when we had him, he was in a real state. I think if they'd been left any longer without Cats and Dogs help, I mean, they're an incredible charity. Without their help and, and taking those animals in, he would have died. And he came, he had, he was tiny. He was like, he just, he could fit in both my hands. Um, he, he had a belly full of worms. He had a big swollen pot belly. He had mange. So he was like really manky, scabby puppy. And we just took him home and we loved him and we gave him just all the care we could. And, and he is just absolutely thriving. And he's such a happy boy. Um, because I think, isn't it interesting? Like he had such a rough start and you, I don't think he'd been mistreated. I think whoever had left him there just didn't know what to do with them or just didn't have the support or the resources that they needed. Maybe I'm being charitable. I don't know. But <laughs> he is just absolutely thriving and all of our animals have always been rescues. Um, it was a huge challenge for us. It was not something either of us had done before. And I'm just so glad we did. And he's such a happy dog and he always makes everybody smile. So, like, wherever he goes, if we take him for walks, people always smile at him. He's quite odd looking, so that might be why. Maybe they're just laughing at him. But um, he, he's such a happy boy. And um, and so every time I see this little pig, he takes with him everywhere and he sleeps with it in bed. It it makes me, it just fills my heart. And, um, yeah, it just fills, fills me up. And I think that's probably what the mental health shelf is all about, isn't it? It's a nice way to kind of round it off is that... Um, yeah, it, it just, it's heartwarming and it, it just fills up my cup. First of all, what breed of dog? <laughs> the important question. Yeah, he's, um, well, we don't really know. He's, he's, oh. we did one of those silly dog DNA tests, but, um, <laughs> well, I say silly, but it actually worked because we've traced some of his relatives since. He um, is a Cocker Spaniel crossed with a Terrier. So when he was little, he's very long, weirdly as well. So when he was little, everybody used to think he was a, um, a Dachshund, like a sausage dog. Um, but he's got the the fluffy ears, the cocker spaniel ears, um, and he actually <laughs> he's like a cocker spaniel with quite stumpy legs and a big, <laughs> big feathery tail. <laughs> I need to see a picture of this dog afterwards. Yeah, I'll show this you. This is the first I'll time see. I've done kind of one of these in person where someone said something relating to an animal. <laughs> and you know, last episode someone had a dog. It was next to them. Dog never appeared on camera. I was very Aww. sad. But now you are here and you have a phone and there will likely be pictures. So yeah, I, look forward I, I to mean, that. I'd imagine animals have popped up a lot in this podcast. Animals kind Once of... Once or twice, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what, what, what isn't made better by a dog? Or a cat. I love cats. <laughs> or animals, generally. Yeah, brilliant. Is there anything in particular about animals? Oh, I've always loved animals. I've always... Um... Maybe it's like I've I've got quite a caring nature and I think just I like to be kind to people and animals and, and the planet and I just think kindness goes a really, really long way in general. Um, and I think as humans we can um, cause a lot of damage to the planet and to other people and to animals and we can be very cruel and actually if you can reverse that by doing kind things or even just doing one nice thing a day like how you can make somebody's day a lot better. And I think little we do a lot in terms of charity, in terms of like random acts of kindness and, and and I and and I do a lot of work in volunteer space as well. And I think just being kind and aware of the world that we live in and our space within it. Um and being a bit humble about that as well, it goes a really long way. Is that something that you think is kind of unconsciously followed you both in life and in your career you know going from local paper particularly then to the third sector yeah definitely I think I've sort of I think that's been a bit of almost like like the coming home to myself as well I think mm. I've really I've done a lot in these nearly 40 years um and I think that's where I've sort of traveled in and I've sort of naturally found this space and honestly I've never been happier it's um it, it feels like where I belong now it's um and I wouldn't take away anything of what I've done I'm I'm so so proud of it and um and it's all just been part of my journey. But um yeah, I'm I'm so happy in this space that I've ended up in. Do you plan or do you just let things happen? Oh my goodness, I plan. <laughs> I plan and I plan and then it never goes the way I plan. <laughs> so I think I need to do less planning in life actually, because like I feel like the universe is telling me something because the more I plan, the less it doesn't go to plan. Does that make sense? No, I get that very much. <laughs> Yeah, n none of my plans have ever come to fruition, so I'm just going with it now. I'm going to go with it. But I am hardwired to plan. 
Kind of like the dog that just leapt into your life, really. Yeah, absolutely. There have been so many things like that in in probably in the last decade, actually, <laughs> that have that, that that's happened. Just before we fully wrap up, then, uh, shall we go over the items on your shelf one more okay, time? Okay, go on then. Okay, so it was my garden. It was books or a book. It was my uh, singing bowl from India with the yoga sun on it. It was my little pot of sand from somewhere really special. And it was Mr. Pig, the stuffed toy. What goes through your mind when you read all those back? Oh, it just brings me, it brings me great joy and, um, and makes me really grateful for everything, actually. Yeah, I've enjoyed doing this. Thank you. Well, thank you. Thank you very much for coming along. <laughs> very, very much appreciated. It's uh, been wonderful to talk to you indeed. Thanks, Jamie. Never actually got to see the picture of the dog in the end, which is a shame. So, so far for this podcast, I'm still at zero for amount of animals that I've seen. That being said, if I wanted uh, to see animals, I probably should have started a podcast about that. So join me next month for spin-off podcast, Please Show Me Your Dog, in which I sit down with people and ask them to show me their dog. I mean, that probably won't happen, but it's an idea. It might mean I can meet more dogs, which is never usually a bad thing. Anyway, on to back to the main point. Uh, wonderful to talk to Becky indeed for this podcast. And it's one of the first ones. Obviously, this isn't to slight any other guests. It's been interesting to hear what they've picked and talked about and what's helped them. But I think this is possibly the first time when I've properly taken away something and tried it. And it, it was to do with the breathing that we were talking about, those different techniques. And particularly during moments of um, high stress and panic over the last couple of weeks for me, just kind of trying to use those, see what works out. And that's kind of one of the things that um, I started this podcast for. To, you know, what can I take from other people and use that for myself? And, you know, maybe other people will hear things um, and then take it for themselves, all that kind of stuff. Um, and I, I, while we were in the studio, uh, it's nice to do this in the studio as well. Yes, Zoom is kind of fine and functional, but actually being there with the person one-to-one in the studio in the same room, there's a bit more of a kind of, not controlled, controlled is certainly the wrong word, but it's the one that's coming to mind, so I'm going to use it, controlled environment and nature, where I think there is a bit more openness and there's slightly less hesitation but still you know zoom is fine and it works and it's still good to talk to people but it's very nice to do this kind of thing one-on-one in a studio and particularly when um becky was talking about the kind of alternate nostril breathing when she was kind of going over the things you've got to do for that i was trying to replicate what to do with her hands all that kind of stuff and basically sitting there going i have absolutely no clue if i'm doing this right i'm gonna have to listen back to it i'm gonna have to look back more because right now i'm probably absolutely butchering it so there was that. Anyway, so that's one of the things that I've kind of gone on to do and, well, look into a little bit more anyway. And that very much seems to have been something that she's done over the years uh, knowingly as well with uh, travelling around the world, picking up bits and pieces, the gratitude journal, all these small things to kind of ease the mind, bring a bit of calmness and, and escape from, or well, drain out the chaos of it sometimes when it can be very, very loud. Um, so yes, indeed, very, very interesting to talk to Becky for this podcast and wonderful, as I say, do it in a studio. Not always possible, but when it is, it's very, very nice to uh, have that conversation just face to face. And that's coming from me. Uh, anyway, wonderful to talk to her for this podcast. Uh, very, very much appreciated. Uh, and that's it. I'll wrap it up because otherwise I'm going to continue rambling and I will probably go on and on and on about nothing and continue to be in desperate need of a script. So that's it for this episode. Thank you very much for listening. It's hugely appreciated. I'll be back next month with another guest and another set of items on a new mental health shelf.